just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Speaking of Influence podcast with virtual business speaker, presentation skills and influence coach, John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. The Speaking of Influence podcast is uploaded and distributed using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it really easy to get your podcast started and out to a wide audience with lots of tips and useful tools to help you on your way. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes and start your podcast today. Okay, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to introduce my guest today. My guest has 20 years experience as a business leader in the areas of management, law firms, finance, and the healthcare industry. And that's made her an asset to business and holistic views that she brings. Now, my guest has spent more than a decade teaching, speaking, achieving sales goals, and leading in those fields. And she's the founder of 100 Years of Bliss, which is a wellness company focusing on the culture and health of other companies and today her passion is to empower educate and advise companies on the benefits of meditation and mindfulness that has that that has to increase health productivity sales and the bottom line we're going to talk about some of that but we're also going to talk about that my guest also has a history in a cult in the past and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well and what that was like and escaping from that so we're going to have a bit of a varied conversation today but let me first well, welcome formally to the show, Britt Walker. Hi, thank you. I'm uh, excited to be here. It's great to have you with me as well. I was so pleased to be introduced to you and that you were willing to come on the show and discuss these things. And and realistically, it, it was very, when we had our conversation before, it was very natural how we flowed from talking about your background with the cult to talking about what the things that you're doing now as well. They're not completely unrelated in some ways. No. And <laughs> so it's... Yeah, it's a really fascinating background. I guess we should start with the the main reason why I came to talk to you in the first place, which is that I was looking to speak to people who had been in cults and had come away from them. Can you tell us what, what that was, what you were involved with and what that looked like? Absolutely. Um, and I talk about it a lot because, well, partially I talk about it a lot because I really want people who come out of those kind of situations, they have so much shame that they come from. And I think it's the only way to get rid of some of that shame is really just to be open about it and talk about what that was like. Um, but my parents had joined when I was um, eight years old. And so we had moved from uh, Maryland at the time out to Arizona. Uh, so obviously the U.S. because I know you're not in the U.S. Um, but so I realized some of the listeners are not in the U.S. So um, but pretty much moved across the country. And I mean, it was, it was the eighties. So not to 
make that the reason that it happened. But, um, you know, there was a lot of people who were looking for some different type of spirituality. And I think that this group gave that, um, the woman who ran it was a medium. They also did a lot of, uh, different types of workshops that were very est related. If people are familiar with that type of trainings that went on years ago. And so my parents were looking for something. They had had their own issues in their life and they felt like this was a community that they could belong to. And I think that a lot of times that's the way it starts. Somebody just sees a community that shares similar views and they don't realize the damage it's going to cause when they do that. Cause I mean, if they did, they'd never join. But interestingly, the, the last guest I talked to about cult experience had been in the Jehovah's Witnesses, which was definitely a religious cult. Yours was more of, a, not your personal cult, but the cult that you were a part of was a personal development cult. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, they kind of had, so they didn't have a specific religion. They had, they created their own teaching based on the teachings that came from um, the spirit that she would uh um, medium right you know yeah so so it was it was led by one particular person but it had grown up through that personal development environment and from those her and her husband yeah her and her husband that, that's fascinating I mean, um and a lot of the research that i've done into into cults and organizations like that often the the leaders you tend to see particular habits that ones of maybe having a narcissistic personality disorder and um controlling mechanisms going on within that did you see that in the the cult that your family was in i mean looking back i would say yes but i mean also at the same time i mean i came in so i mean coming in at eight years old and it's interesting so i have an older sister i've got couple older sisters, a couple younger siblings. And coming in at eight years old, my older sister was about 12. My younger brother, um, he must have been about four. And then I had a sister who wasn't born yet. So it's interesting how we all kind of went through different lenses of this experience, being those age gaps, you know, because we're pretty evenly dispersed, right? Um, And you know, I mean, I remember what it was like before we moved there. And I remember how things changed when we did move there and how um, there was all of a sudden this, these set of rules that applied. Um, but there's a place where you also just kind of go along with it because you're a kid. So you don't really know. Although I noticed the difference before we got there, you don't really know until later and getting out and you looking back and like having a different hindsight of what actually went on and how dysfunctional it was. And I, and that's a big part of what I learned through healing um, coming out of it as well. But I mean, it's been a it's been a very long journey. And um, yeah. And I think that that's one of the bigger parts, especially when, when you are involved in these things very young is I I have a, I have a very religious upbringing and and I'm not, 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 I wouldn't say strict religious, but, but I was around the church a lot growing up, but I'm not now, I I don't have any resentment to that or anything like that, but, but I'm aware that there's still behavioral hangovers sometimes, personality hangovers, things that I sometimes find myself saying, I can't do that. And then when I really question, it's like, no, I, I can. <laughs> it's, uh, right. it's 
it's okay uh, and so, so the, those things are still left and i imagine there's a, a much deeper scale with that i mean i, I had uh, sort of uh, definitely emotional hangover issues because of growing up with uh, a different sexuality and things like that as well which which definitely made things a right. little bit, yeah that that was a bigger yeah. challenge that was a bigger challenge I, I, i'll admit uh, but had that been in a, a stricter religious organization it could have been a lot worse but i did go through i personally went through this sort of delivery ministry kind of thing if you've heard of that before and that, wow. that was pretty traumatic emotionally and I had to do a lot of healing from that myself so I get what you're saying about needing to heal from these sorts of experiences what what was life as best you can remember from that age group what was life actually like within the cult it changed a lot over the years um uh you know I mean I remember when I first got there you know I mean there there was because they had all these teachings it was like First of all, it was very much, we focused on everybody who was there. Um, there was very, there was a lot of expectations about your participation. That was, that was personal. That was financial. That was emotional. They would do something called processing. Um, processing was where different people were called to come around and work out their stuff, I guess you would say. Um, but it could have you could have been called to one of those just because somebody got mad at you about something. And usually somebody was mad at you about something. Didn't Is that matter. That a thing they do in Scientology. I can't remember what it's called, but, uh, they... uh no, I don't, I haven't spent a whole lot of time yeah. studying Scientology, but mm. yeah. It's so a like, similar thing like that. Yeah. So there was, so that started like, I mean, my parents were getting called. So there was, you know, regular church for us was going to trance, which was pretty much a weekly thing. Um, then there was a small time where, um, the woman who ran it, her sister did, she was, a she was kind of Hindu devotee, even though, you know, she was white American and stuff like that. So they would do something called singing bhajans. So we'd have to go do that, which is a very, very Indian thing. Mm. Um, so it was very odd for a group of white people to be sitting around <laughs> singing that. So we would do that. Um, the uh, marriages were somewhat arranged. You didn't really have a choice. You didn't have choices. So mm -hmm. there was this, it was basically like moving there. It was getting taken away your ability to have choices. And so you were very much told what you were going to do. You were told, um, you couldn't go for a career, which was, I mean, as a woman growing up in that environment, it was very much about, you know, making sure that it was clear that I was going to be told who I married and that my biggest priority was to be a wife. Um, there was a, it, one thing that was different is we had, a, there was an enormous amount of alcohol uh -huh. um, and smoking. And those were the ways that everybody dealt with stress, honestly, was, you know, very dysfunctional and yelling at each other. So then they'd have these processes where everybody would sit around, drink and yell at each other about whatever they were mad about. There was not a lot of um, and it was and it was always about digging up the past. So if somebody had anything that had happened in their past, it was always dug up on a regular basis that they hadn't completed it. If somebody's children acted out in any particular way, then the parents were brought about how they weren't parenting right. And then the children were pitted against the parents as well. So I was pitted against my parents from a very young age. And I think that that was, I don't know if that was intentionally control-based because it's real hard to get out of um, 
that kind of environment when the whole family's against each other. Uh, Cause we were consistently taught to express to our parents, which was very expressing was typically. So they used to say, it was always about telling the truth. So your truth didn't matter how mean it was as long as it was the truth. So they were very abusive in this telling the truth and telling the truth could be down. So they used to use a term called basically like, I hate the way you, so this is something they used to say was like, I hate the way you lick stamps. And it was basically getting down to just every detail about you that I think that there's something wrong with you. And it was like, we're going to tear you down to the most minuscule thing and then we'll build you back up. But there was never any building back up. So really it was just sitting around and tearing each other down. It was. But, you know, interestingly enough, I was having a chat with, uh, with someone a few days ago who I'm going to record an episode with soon. And we were not really talking about cults. We were talking about, um, abusive relationships and people with narcissistic personality disorder and surprisingly there are a lot of similarities and um how uh, the abuse in relationships and uh tearing tearing people down making people feel worthless these are all these are all ways of like thought control behavior control and um, these are things that uh, abusive relationships are just like more or less like miniature cults in some ways. And because there's a lot of those traits there of uh, behavior control, thought control, information control, and um, the, the, the emotional control, it's all, it's all there. And these, there are different ways of doing it. I think some, some cults and organizations are aware that they're doing it and some people are aware they're doing it. And some people just, sometimes find themselves doing it and and find that it works and it get, gets the result so so it's uh, it's kind of fascinating that, that there's a lot of parallels between uh, abusive personal relationships and abusive community relationships really well i think that the reason and the way that i got into doing what i do is because i see the parallels in what i grew up in and what you were explaining about your life it's not just a religion though Like there's, you know, wherever we're raised, we are by our parents or whatever that looks like. We're brought up in whatever culture or um, little bubble that that is. And in that, we carry a lot of beliefs about who we are. And if we're in a really nurturing environment, that can be great. But most of us have a story. I don't know. Actually, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a story, right? I don't know anybody who didn't have something that they had to go through or some pain and you know, there's all different levels. So I just saw what I went through and I was like, well, mine might be really extreme, but I mean, I've had, I have a friend who's a Marine and he talked about trying to figure out who he was coming out of the Marines, you know, and it doesn't matter what you've been in. I mean, there's always this search to figure out who you are, regardless of all of the outside, um, stuff that's around us every given day, whether it's family, our faith, our um, career choices, uh, just just the noise of everything that's outside of us, like social media and political and being in a pandemic and go down the list. <laughs> right. The, the, the cult that you and your family were in was was a, more like a commune. Is that right? You were more separated from, from the outside world or, or was it actually... Was it was... Definitely communal over the years. We were not separated, though. 
So we had a lot of businesses that were very active in the community and people never knew that those business, well, I think there was, there was this, this waves of it that it would go back and forth that people were aware that some of the businesses were cult, had cult ties um, depending on how many people knew in the area that there was that type of situation going on. But like uh, we had a restaurant for a long time. Have, my dad had a lot, my dad and a couple other attorneys had practicing law firms. Um, there was a construction company, um, which, which that went on for a long time. And then there was other little smaller businesses and people who worked within the community in different ways. Mm-hmm. We had a school, which initially was a private school, but then they got a charter. So we actually had students who came from outside of, um, public, you know, cause charter schools, anybody publicly can come to any charter school because it is a state funded school. So, you know, we had a school that had students who came from outside and all of that, but nobody ever got paid for any of that. You just had a box of food. And were were they teaching a general curriculum or very much their own kind of thing? No, they had to teach a general curriculum. It's required. You have to, you have to cover your basis and do all the standardized testing or else you won't have a school. Initially, were you happy there in that environment? Um, I mean, I think that there were certain things, you know, you had this community feeling, um, but there was so much abuse in it. I, but you become conditioned to it and you think that there's a love in that. And, and I've compared it to abusive relationships as well. I think that that's a very good um, comparison. Um, but yeah, so there was a lot of abusive relationship. There was a lot of abuse within it. It was very controlling, but you have this thought that you're going to go to hell. Of course. You know, and you think that you think that you, you've built up this idea that this is the best place to be. Other things may have things that are better, you, but those are superficial. This has the most spiritual direct connection to God, you know? So you have this thought that, that you're going to lose your, your ability to get to a higher place, you know? So it's that, that fear. Yeah, of course. And, and it's, and it's very real. I you know I think even, even after having left um, organized religion behind a long time, a long, long time ago, that stayed with me for quite some time afterwards and uh, really wasn't until I got to a point where, I mean, I would now describe myself as uh, as uh, pretty much atheist really and uh, not having any religious or particularly spiritual beliefs. But um, that is really at that point where I don't have any sort of um, belief in supernatural, I guess, that I, I was able to get to a point where I was like, okay, I don't, I don't really have that anymore. I don't really have those ideas. Like if there is something out there, it's not that. It's not what they talked about. And so it would be something different altogether. So I can let go. I was actually able to properly let go of that fear. But yeah, it's, it's very real for a lot of people. And, and how I, I think it still terrifies uh, many people, especially especially children. I want to ask for your experience in there then, was there a point where you realized this isn't right? This, this is just not, not good, not normal. Dozens. Yeah. <laughs> when well, did that happen? So let me, me kind of like, sorry, go ahead. What'd you say? 
No, no. Was, just, was there a, was that always the case? Like you went in there, like ooh, this, this is a creepy environment, or did it just grow? That was like no, this is weird. I have a memory as far back as when we had just gotten there. So we had been there for months, and I had gotten a fight with the um, daughter of the ministers who ran it. And I came home, and I was you know little, and telling my mom how mad I was about it, and my mother. Um, basically telling me that that's kind of the way that it was and that I had to play with her and, you know, and that, so that was like this regular thing. It's like, I didn't have a choice about that kind of stuff. And, and there was this, that was when the hierarchy began. So that was eight years old that that started. And it was, you know, my parents were trying to get their kids to fit into this environment. And I think that I, it was, it was the beginning of me shutting down in a lot of different ways, which has taken me a long time to get back to. And then from there, like, I remember being a teenager. So I was a teenager and I'm working in, I'm working in the law office that we have and we have all these lawsuits and, um, that were, that were based on the collective. So, uh, one of them was a kiting lawsuit. So if, for people who have no idea what kiting is, and I don't even know if you can still actually do kiting, but what kiting is, is where you are moving money around between bank accounts mm-hmm. and there's, there's basically no money there. It's, an, it's imaginary, right? But because you're always transferring checks around through enough different accounts, you're just floating this imaginary balance, Right. So what had happened is um, the banks had caught up to the fact that something wasn't right because they were actually floating money around between all these different bank accounts and um, the banks were suing us over it, but they never. So I'm working in the law office knowing that we were doing what we're being accused of, why I'm being preached to my entire life about integrity. And I'm 16 and I'm like, now granted, I know I can't say anything because I would be just annihilated. But at the same time, it's going through my head. This is not right. I mean, I, and I think that, I think that no matter what you grow up in, you have an internal compass that always is trying to lead you in the direction. We just get trained out of using it. Yeah. So I was basically trained out of using that intuition that we all naturally have. So, so that was like one of the things, and there was other lawsuits that were similar to that and other things that happened, but then there's this alienation from things outside of this group that you're in. And I've noticed that a lot of people who come out of cults have that as well. So, so we have this, um, so there was a lot of death threats that had happened in as well, because when Waco happened, when that whole thing happened in Waco with with um, ATF and all of that and the mm-hmm. coming in with guns because part of our community was in a very small community. People are like, Oh, well, these people are a cult. there, just like the people in Waco. So we're not going to let them do what do there with what. <laughs> so people come and start threatening people around our community. So it, it causes this divide where you do just get more internal. Yeah. You know, you're like, Oh, well look, look at what's happening. We're being turned against 
you know, we're being turned against, look what happens out there. You don't want to go out there. It's scary out there because so, so everybody becomes this grabbing onto each other in this very dysfunctional way because you begin to believe this reality that's been created for you. So after that, um, I had been right. And I know this is a really long answer to this question, but I think it's important because people do under, do not understand why you don't leave. And this is why you don't leave. So there you go. So now I, so now I'm about 17 years old and, um, the guy that I, there's a guy who comes in that I get kind of put together more or less. And he comes in cause he's a brother of the bodyguards we had hired because of Waco. Okay. So now we have bodyguards who are protecting people in the community. And so he comes in and I'm introduced to him more or less and I'm 17 years old, you know, and I understand that I don't really have a choice about who I'm supposed to date. And here's this person and I'm kind of told to meet him and stuff. So me and him start dating. He moves, he moves into my house, not, not my room or anything, but he moves into my house to be closer to his brother who's bodyguarding. And, um, basically we're, we're in a relationship from there on out. You know, we never really dated much. We just all of a sudden go from like meeting to almost an instant relationship within a month or two. So now I'm in this relationship, pregnant and two kids later, he leaves and I'm 22. So he leaves, I'm 22 years old. I have no education. We're told we're built up our whole lives that we're supposed to have these, these amazing relationships and we're going to be put in these relationships so that we can do a better job than our parents. And now mine's gone. So not only am I a failure because I was ordained by God to be in this relationship with this person. And the only reason it didn't work is because obviously I fucked that up. Right. That's my thought. Right. And I'm 22 years old. I'm a single mother. I have two kids. I'm not getting child support and I have a GED. That's it. So what am I supposed to do at this point? I mean, I am a train wreck of a person, but what am I supposed to do at this point? And I don't see anything out this, outside of this environment to be inspired to grow towards something different either, because all, you're, you're in this bubble. So you don't, you know, I mean, we didn't have the internet then. I mean, it just started around then. So it's like, there wasn't this like, oh, people do different things and get out of all kinds of stuff. So then I go from there and it just, the cycle kept repeating itself. And I slowly began growing by little bits, by little bits and, and learning how to support myself and learning how to do these little things. I decided to start going to school, but I mean, I was still just on a hamster wheel trying to figure out how to get off. Yeah. And then by the time, so by the time I was 30, I was such an emotional train wreck raising kids by myself. And I had a 10 year old or 11 10 and 11 year old. Um, I had heart surgery and I had, I was working three jobs, (laughs) raising two kids by myself (laughs) and I collapsed at work and I was cooking. This is one of my jobs. I I literally collapsed on the floor um, and fainted and I go to the doctor and they're like, you need heart surgery. I'm like, but I'm like 30. And they're like, yeah, but you need heart surgery. And it was not like the most serious thing. But at the time, I, I really took it as being um, very emotionally based issue. And after that, that's the first time I left. I had that surgery and I left 
about a month later and I moved to Austin, which is where I'm originally from, um, with the minister's daughter. And that was my first taste of getting out of there. But I did run back a couple of years later and jumped right back in, <laughs> like an abusive relationship. <laughs> right. It's amazing, really, that there is so much uh, pressure to conform. It's like that as we talked about the personality changes and, and how your, your intuition gets suppressed, that really it is that sort of group conformity and that need to not be yourself because you're going to, if you're yourself, if you say what's really going on for you and what's on your mind, you're going to be exiled from the group. You're going to be cut out from that. So you have to train yourself to suppress those thoughts and um, at least suppress your emotions and go along, go along with it and put on this exterior that is acceptable to to the group and the community to stay a part of it and when you do that for so long it's very hard to imagine or very hard to train yourself back out of that again to to readjusting into a more more regular life i hate to use the word normal because i don't really know what that is but uh, but a more regular kind of life and uh, so yeah that's it's a huge adjustment but it's also letting go of that huge identity of like especially if you grew up in that your most formative years were in that environment and that's what I found with uh, with my religious background as well for me my most formative years were, were in that environment I was in the church youth group I was in the I was the church organist I was a Sunday school teacher I was in the church drama group and my whole life revolved around church and and so leaving all that behind there was a huge hole Uh, of community and it it was very hard to integrate into other groupings where I had been so exiled before that but it's interesting that you mentioned as well the the sort of persecution side of things because that persecution narrative I think is very common in cults right right you hear that you hear that a lot because that's part of what keeps you there as well now um Partly it's justification, like we're right because they wouldn't persecute us if we weren't right. And uh, it's, uh, but it's that justification for it, but also creating a level of fear of the outside world, like really that huge separation between they're not like us, we're not like them. Uh, And so you're even more distanced. Yeah, we, um, and I've said this, it's interesting. I said this to another guy that I tried to interview, but, um, he still has a lot of family in one, so he doesn't want to come out, even though right. he's very clear about what he came out of. But what they always said to us was in the world, but not of the world. Mm. So it was okay to, you know, to to be a part of things, but knowing where your p- real place was type of thing. You know, and and I and it's it's so ingrained and trying to you you can't even picture what a life outside of that looks like you know because my whole family so I realized that for me to leave it means leaving my leaving my parents leaving my siblings uh leaving my faith um you know I don't have money I mean saving so money is another manipulation that is incredibly like the fact it's a miracle that my parents were able to get out and still be and it's because my parents had inherited some money from my grandparents, but um, because my dad was an attorney and made great money since I was young, but you're, you were never allowed to save. So there's this tithe, right? So there's tithing 10%, but then it's also giving more than that. You're, you're consistently 
um, promoted to give on top of whatever that expectation is. And that doesn't include your own personal time. I mean, my mother basically was their personal chef for years and for nothing. Mm. And not to mention the fact that she was, so my mother was also a midwife. And so she delivered babies within the community, obviously for nothing for years as well. You know, my dad did free law for people all the time, whether it was divorce or child support or all these different things, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's been said before, if you want, if you want real power, it's not just get, don't just get money, start a religion. (laughs) That is absolutely true. Yeah. Who was, uh, who was the first one to get away? Was it you who, who escaped first? Um, uh, my brother kind of left. My brother was kind of, kicked out more or less. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I, I guess I left then, but then I came back. Um, and then I slowly just began cutting ties, not intentionally. So when I jumped back in, um, I jumped deep back in. I was like, let's try this on again and just, just roll in it, you know? <laughs> so uh, moved into the minister's second home and um, where they would visit regularly which was just a horrible idea. Um, after that, when I moved, then I began working for one of the other ministers um, who had his own law practice. So, I mean, I was deep, yeah. deep in all of it. And it just, things began declining rapidly for a lot of different reasons. For one, there was an enormous amount of hypocrisy that, that had gone on forever, you know, between um, the way that they preached, but their, but their sermons would change over the years because their kids or their kids, kids wouldn't go along with any of it. Do you know what I'm saying? I was like, Oh, well, we'll accept this now because you know, so it's like really because you abused all of us, but now that your kids are in the same situation, it's, it's free reign. They can do what they want. Okay. And then, um, there was, there was just a lot of different breakdowns on different things that had happened. Um, my kids and the girl that I'd grown up with, who was the daughters, the daughter of the ministers, we both had kids similar ages. Our daughters were born a month apart and they would get in trouble. And there was this huge breakdown with her. So she's unfortunately, been incredibly abused her entire life. And I have a lot of empathy for that part of it, but Mm -hmm. she's also one of the meaner people you'll ever meet as well. And she was very abusive with her children and nobody would tell her the truth, which that was what we were all taught, right? Forever is like, tell the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. and her own sisters would never confront her about it. Her own sisters were. And so there was all these so those are the kind of things that begin to break down that in this super spiritual environment where we're all telling each other the truth, you see the reality of the things that happen. And me and her started going back and forth about our kids and there was a real breakdown there. And so I just started moving farther away because of a lot of that. Um, And then my parents had backed away for different reasons. And they had started pulling out of things partially because my mother had cancer. So my mother gets diagnosed with cancer and 
all this, you know, you're, you're taught this, like we're a family, you know, and then you see all these places where it's just not true. It's like my mother has cancer and all these people start leaving her side. Right. And you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like all of a sudden my mother who has helped all these different people do different stuff and everybody kind of had some of that. But, um, and so my mom started, you know, and I think it's a big thing when you have some kind of illness like that, that you look at the emotional way that you've dealt with things. And I'm a big believer that the way that you, that emotions are what cause a lot of our physical problems. Yeah. All the way. And, and the way that my mother had dealt with stress over the years was incredibly dysfunctional. You know, she had basically drank when things went sideways. So it was like this happened, that happened. My mother was drinking. And so now all of a sudden she has cancer and she's trying to figure out how to, how to deal with this situation. And she came through it like amazing. Like she did an amazing job getting through it, but this, but realizing who was there for her in the middle of that, when she's been with these women for, you know, 25 years and all of a sudden some of them are not by her side, you know, so it was, so my parents began pulling away because of things like that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, and there are there are even some organizations that won't let you get medical treatment or like some of the um, more personal development kind of cults as well. Like you should be able to heal yourself with your mind. Was there any of that, or was it all like no, you can go to the hospital and they'll deal with it? Um, there was uh it was it was in between, yeah. right? So there was a lot of gaslighting. <laughs> Mm. but we still went to the doctor if we needed to go to the doctor and we were not anti-medicine or anything like that. But there was definitely a lot of um, like at one point my brother was told by the spirit that he had cancer and then he was miraculously healed uh, after he did whatever he was told to do, which I don't remember what it was, but, Mm. and I had some of that too. When I was younger, I was told that I had something wrong with me and I look back at that and I'm like, that's was probably a bunch of bullshit. But the, and the funny thing about it is I believe that as a medium at one point, she probably was pretty good at it. I mean, she's got tapes and she was on all different kinds of morning shows back in the day. Um, And the guy who had trained her was, was on like the guy, he was on like a show before Johnny Carson, you know, whoever was, whoever was the guy before Johnny Carson, the guy who had trained her, was on that. He would, he would do like blindfold billets where he would read serial numbers off of bills in the audience. Mm. And this is the guy who had trained her. Yeah. I must admit, I'm not a believer, but I'm open to persuasion at least. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because I came, came from that. And then I was like, okay, if you're, if you're not going to give me science on something, we're done. But I've actually very, and I consider myself, so like what you were saying before, like I consider myself incredibly spiritual. And I think that most people who consider themselves spiritual, and it was interesting, I was listening to some Brene Brown stuff, who are very in tune with who they are and wholehearted, consider themselves incredibly spiritual, but not religious. Mm. There's only a very small percentage of people who are still subscribing to that in that space. Um, 
the yeah the only reason why i don't describe myself as being spiritual is because i don't believe in anything supernatural but i do kind of spiritual practices i do meditation and i get a lot of value from it i i certainly have practiced yoga many times in my life and tai chi and and i get a lot of benefit from all these things and they i guess you would call them spiritual practices but it's it, for me, it's a, it's a bit of a messy association. Spirituality means, I think it potentially means something different to every single person. I, it's like there isn't really one one definition of it, which is why I'm very reluctant to use it to describe myself because it's op- so open to misinterpretation. And but 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 also like calling myself an atheist is also, also everyone who is more openly spiritual thinks I'm closed-minded to everything and that I'm not going to listen to it or that I don't believe in anything at all it's not like that I'm, I'm open to persuasion I'm open to evidence but you do have to give me some evidence I, I need right. to see it I see the evidence for for meditation I see the uh, I feel the benefits I, I've had even in the past uh, I'm not sure what I feel about it but I've had Reiki in the past and I would honestly say I had an experience with that I can't explain I don't know what it is or if, if it works or what it really does, but I had a, an experience that I can't explain with that and, um, and some you know, very strange sensations. And I'm open to it. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll try this stuff. I've tried acupuncture. I've tried and even trained in hypnotherapy and things like that. It's like, I, I'm a lot more open-minded than people <laughs> seem to give me credit for. But it's, it's like I just avoid that saying spiritual. But I do have that element to my personality of, um, I, I see it more as being the inner work, the stuff that is uh, about you feeling like part of everything, part of part of the world, part of the universe, and almost sort of merging into that. Sometimes in in deep meditation, I just feel like I'm kind of gone and a part of everything. And 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 I wonder if that's what it feels like after, you know, if that's like afterlife, you know, if that's what it's like afterwards. No, I think about that sometimes too because I don't know, you know, I guess. I call that, I guess I, I guess that is exactly what I call spirituality, whether there's a specific idea of God, which I mean, I've actually studied a lot on these things, you know, um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people's idea of that is just that part of us that is interconnected in a way that we haven't figured out how to exactly explain, you know, because, because yeah, I mean, I, when I, I was so repelled from what I grew up in that I went way over here for a while and it's taken me some, you know, it's taken me some time to begin to open myself back up to, okay, so I learned, I learned this stuff and all this stuff that I learned, maybe there's stuff in there that is good, that is beautiful, that has value. And meditation was one of those meditation. I was very turned off from because I was told how to meditate in a very dysfunctional way. Um, So I got back to meditation because of, because of why I was going to school to get my psychology degree. So I took a class and I began learning about the science behind meditation and people they were testing. um, They were doing these double blind tests who were going into surgery and losing half as much blood because they taught them a meditation before they went into surgery. Right. And I was like, oh, so, so meditation can actually control things within your body. That's pretty fascinating. And then I began just studying it more. And then I saw Dr. Joe Dispenza. 
And he talked about healing with meditation and how he healed his entire back, which he had been hit by a car. So I was like, I was like, okay, so there's, there's real stuff behind this. And so then I got into the more the quantum physics side of things. And like, so it's funny when you were saying like healing things with your mind, I get more into that because of meditation, but the science behind why that stuff works versus just this woo woo sense of it as well, you know, but I do believe there's a place that we're very interconnected. I don't know if there's a specific, you know, I don't believe that there's some godlike creature who looks like Zeus or, or whatever, whatever that, that white, white bearded thing that people um, associate. I don't believe in that. Yeah. I, I um yeah as why well, I sometimes feel feel like atheism is all, all, almost the wrong word because everyone just assumes for me that that means I don't it, it just means I don't believe in religious gods I don't believe like that there are these beings like you say and and I don't really believe in magic and things like that but but I'm no I, I do have some sort of sense of interconnectedness that you talk about and uh, and I'm open to the idea of energy you know we are all energy at the end of the day and you know and and I'm also okay that I don't need to have all the answers I'm okay with saying I don't know (laughs) and uh, is that is that I'm not saying I believe in something or I disbelieve in it I just don't know but I'm it's interesting to explore these things Uh, and you know I I see that more as maybe that's a better definition for me personally but it it doesn't necessarily like life spirituality it perhaps doesn't translate to say i'm an explorer <laughs> because uh, that's how i, I feel. like that though i actually think that's a lot well i tell you why i tell you why because i love to test because that's what i did to refine new things in my life it was like well let me just see if i like this and mm. that's yeah, everything right like i i started just going like okay well let me just try it and see how it makes me feel you know, because I had turned off my ability to feel anything because everything felt bad. So I was just like, it, nothing mattered. So as I began to go back and it was like, okay, well, how does this kind of meditation feel? How does eating this food feel? How does this, you know, and I just started going into the things that I was taught and go, okay, well, if I did this differently, what would it be like for me? And I mean, I'm a big fan of like, right now I'm doing an entirely new diet and just going, okay, does this diet make me feel better than the diet I've been on up until now? Right. And either it does or it doesn't. Exercise is the same way. It's like yeah. I've never tried to do, you know, I started cycling a year ago. And I didn't know if I'd like cycling. I tried it one time before and I hated it. Mm. And I was like, but I wanted to try it again. So I tried it again and I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a blast. But, you know, it's to me, it's just trying things out. And that's spiritual. That's physical that's just people you don't know until you try and I had such a different lens on when I was younger because of everything I was taught so now that I'm looking through a different set of eyes and I'm in a different place I revisit these things and I go either yes or oh hell no no Mm. still still hate that or, you know, whatever it is. No, I relate, I relate to a lot of that. Um, I feel for myself that I have uh, a philosopher's spirit. And uh, so I've always been fascinated by philosophy. I, I think um, it, it explains for me why I, was, why I was so into theology when I was in the church. 
because I always kept trying to take my theology classes and my group there into philosophical areas, and they didn't like it. They wanted to talk about <laughs> they wanted to talk about religious stuff and keep kept trying to bring it back. But the the youth minister at the church was also quite into philosophy, so we would end up having these private conversations, and, and that that's all went away for a while. But it's come back later in life, and I've gotten into uh, particularly uh, Stoic philosophy. I, I'm a, a really big fan of Stoic philosophy, but also uh, I'm a student of ninjutsu, the um, the, the Japanese martial arts of ninjutsu. And there's a nearly every martial art has some level of philosophy behind it. And ninjutsu is no exception as well. And and when I was studying in Japan a few years ago, honestly, I I was blown away by the experience that I had of uh, the, the deep, profound revelations and philosophy that that was shared there uh, and I would say you know it's spiritual but not uh, but not in a religious kind of way for yeah. sure um, but life-changing for me I felt like I came back a changed person from from those teachings and from those understandings so um, yeah I, that's very much where I see myself fitting into things it's just it's what works for you and trying these different things out and um, I'm I'm always that it's like uh, um life is a big game or experiment and you have to find what works for you and what doesn't. I do do want to come back to um, your, your path out of that, your, your healing journey, because it seems that that's, that's really what led you into uh, some of the things that you do now. Where did that really start for you then? Was that with meditation or something else? Uh, I, I owe a lot of my healing to meditation. I, I've always been, you know, even since I was young, I always loved puzzles. And I think it's because I, I, I've always been natural at trying to figure things out. I was always big on studying. Um, and I, part of it might've been having school taken away from me <laughs> because I was, I was pulled out of school to start working. So when I, I was always a reader. So I mean, initially I would just go to the library and get books at different times in my life to try and help me through situations. So like, I remember when I got divorced, I don't even remember the book I got. Books were harder to find then, you know, you had to go to the library for a lot of books. It wasn't like there was a lot of books even for sale, especially where we were because we were outside of, uh, we were in a smaller town for a lot. Parts of this, we were in the Phoenix area. Parts of this was in a smaller town up north. Um, so I was always working on growing myself and there was things that I had learned when I had began going to college and it was interesting. I went for a psychology degree and I think that there was something very therapeutic in that. And I began Mm -hmm. learning different things. Um, it was baby steps, you know, I don't think any, any of it was like this big, huge, although it did happen very quickly. So I began learning meditation and I remember that I met Joe Dispenza at this event and I heard him talk and I, that was way out there for me as much as I'd been on this other side of odd stuff, right. When what I had been raised in the idea that meditation could, you know, heal your spine and stuff like that, which is, which is where he had come from. Um, was pretty far out there, but I was desperate and I was a train wreck at the time. Yeah. I had had heart surgery a couple of years prior. Um, I had chronic migraines. You know, every time I tried to, I was very overweight. Every time I tried to exercise, I would go into a migraine for two days. Um, I had no energy. I had 
Um, I had an enormous amount of anxiety. I had suffered with depression. Um, you know, go down the list. So I had a lot of back pain as well, you know, partially because I couldn't exercise. So I wasn't in good shape at all. And, you know, I was in my young, young, young thirties and there I am feeling like I am old. Mm. And so I started with the meditation. The meditation did a couple things for me. The biggest one that I would say that it did for me is that it began to calm me down enough that I was just better with my kids because I had two kids I was raising by myself and I, and it just took the edge off. And I did start going to therapy. Um, that was a good place to begin to vent a lot of my frustrations. And I think that I just needed somewhere with somebody who was neutral, right? Because I, we would talk amongst different people that I was still close with, but to be able to have somebody totally neutral for me. Um, so I had no thought about, that there was going to be this repercussion, right? Because I every the, every time before my whole life, there was a repercussion every time you talked about anything. So all of a sudden, I had this neutral person I could just vomit stuff out with, mm. and that was that was something I had needed for a while. And then I began learning just different tools, you know, between learning how to exercise. I was getting chiropractic that was therapeutic and learning. Um, I began running. That became incredibly therapeutic for me. Running was another thing. I I think exercise is such an amazing thing for people if you're going through healing. Because to be able to, because it's the same as the meditation to me, it's that being able to go out there and it just like shuts everything off for you for a minute. Where you, ha- where you get into that cycle of negativity. It's like you have this hamster wheel of, especially if you've gotten out of something about the people who've done things wrong to you or how you should have done this or how you're, you know, what you've done wrong in your life. And it's like, you're, you're on this hamster wheel of all this stuff. And it's like meditation, all of a sudden it just turns that off, which allows something different to come in. And I think that exercise did the same thing for me. So I would go out there and run and I use the term running loosely sometimes because sometimes I just went out there and walked swiftly. (laughs) But um, I would go out there and it was just like all of a sudden that would turn off for me. So it was this huge stress release. And a lot of that was during my mom's going through cancer. Mm. And I began learning other things. I began to learn about forgiveness so, and I, and for me, every time there was something that I was having trouble with, I would dive into it. That is my personality. So I was in this, re- I was having this really hard time forgiving. I was having really hard time forgiving people that I had been in relationships with. Uh, my ex for, my ex for me raising two kids by myself and never being involved in their lives. Um, my different family members for different things that I had, you know, decided they had done, you know, just like, and so I began watching things about forgiveness, looking up movies, reading about forgiveness. And I began learning what forgiveness actually is versus this idea that I had about like letting people off the hook. I thought forgiveness was about letting people off the hook instead of that. It was about letting myself move on from a situation that I had decided had done me wrong. Yeah. And that was a huge thing. And then gratitude. 
you know, learning how to use gratitude in a functional way. Um, so it was just these breathing, breathing was another one learning how to do. So it was just like one by one, I learned these things because I began studying how to figure out how to do one thing or another and then began practicing it in my life. And then I'd fall off and I wouldn't do it for a while. And then I'd be like, Oh God, I just, just feel like shit. It was like, Oh, I stopped meditating. I haven't meditated in two weeks. Funny. As soon as the meditation dropped out, how my life just began to sink a little bit. And so I put the meditation back in and all of a sudden I come back up. I would, I became just thirsty for information. And one of the things I teach people is how you have to bring the positive stuff back in. And I didn't think it would make me cry, but I remember in all of this that there was this point one day and I was, and I would listen to Ted talks. I would listen to hours of Ted talks and I would listen to, um, IT theory. And I would just, it was just, I remember one day I spent three hours listening to motivational talks and speeches just to get out of bed. Mm. Yeah. I, I can, I can relate to so much of what you're saying, you know, um, uh, especially the gratitude bit. Gratitude saved my life <laughs> at a point where, where uh, I'd kind of given up on a lot of things, and that was nothing to do with, uh, and then uh, nothing. Well, I say nothing to do. I mean, it's all cumulative in your past anyway. But it was more a case of like I've just been through so much crap that um, I, I I got to a point where I didn't care if I woke up the next day, kind of thing. And, and so getting right. myself out of bed in the morning, uh, not that I wanted to end my life, I just didn't care about it. And, right, <laughs> um, and um, it was only really when when a friend, a good friend of mine, convinced me to to start a gratitude practice that that started to change at all, and uh, and started to to turn me around. But it was a process, uh, and like yourself, I fell away from it sometimes and keep coming back to it. Uh, now it's uh, now it's pretty daily. It, it's right. daily. I always find something to be grateful for. I keep a gratitude journal. I have my five minute journal and uh, with my gratitudes and my declarations. Uh, and it's been a lifesaver for me more, more than anything else. Uh, um, I get what you're saying about the forgiveness stuff as well, because um, as I mentioned, I went through that, this deliverance ministry process. I'd, I'd come out to my, uh, to my best friend when I was 16 and it didn't go well. Let's <laughs> just say it wasn't the response I expected that I ended up with a whole group of people from the church uh, praying, praying demons out of me essentially. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Um, but uh, I didn't realize how much I was holding on to from that until uh, I say years later, maybe uh I think it was around 2009 I was at a personal development event in Scotland and we did this process that was a, like essentially writing process it was a forgiveness writing process and bring up all the stuff and just keep writing 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 and that's what started pouring out of me uh the words pouring out of me tears and snot pouring out of me as well it was not pretty um but that was really uh I didn't realize how much I'd needed how much I had needed to heal from that until that happened Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I guess, and I, I, and I always looked at the people who had been through 
worse or what I perceived as being worse than what I had been through. Mm. And I was like, okay, if they can do it, then I can do it. And my kids were a big motivator for me because I wanted more for them. A lot of times I didn't want more for me, actually. A lot of times I didn't do it for myself. I did it because I had two kids that I felt like they needed me. And that was, that was what I made. Yeah, you have to find have to find the things that keep you going for sure. Um, you know, you, when you're saying about exercise, I'm thinking, yeah, for me it was swimming. Uh, swimming uh, was like my my place where I could be, um, where I could be okay and uh, you know clear my head and just focus on my breathing and uh, very much a form of meditation because you can't really be thinking about you know, when you're counting your breaths and focusing on <clears throat> you can't be thinking about everything else that's going on in your life. Yeah, it like turns it off. Yeah, you know. yeah, and so those those were the things that helped you to start healing. My my virtual background's gone really weird. That's very strange. Yeah, it was all looking so good until a few minutes ago. I'm not going to fiddle with it now because uh, we're we're uh, mid flow. But um, I, I find I find it fascinating because this has led you to to what you do now professionally. So so let me ask you about a hundred years of bliss. Uh, what what is that? What, what is it you're actually doing now? So um, the idea behind the actual hundred years of bliss was this: um, we have this potential to be here for a hundred years or more, and most people um, are stuck with something within their past or they're searching for something within their future, but they don't enjoy their day to day life. And I was in the middle of that for a very long time. And it was about how to help people create an authentic joy about being alive day to day, about waking up in the morning and having that, having gratitude about their life, appreciating what they've created, appreciating the people that are there. And I think it's great to have goals for what we want in the future, but if you're not enjoying day to day, what are you doing? If you don't, if you don't feel like you have great relationships and people that help you that are authentic and help you grow and things that make you light up and you feel like you're financially in a, in a beneficial place and, you know, and all of it's a process, you know, it's not, it, you don't just show up one day. And that was a hard one for me. Cause I always thought that I was going to like arrive and, you know, and then it was going to be like, it's done, you know, but just, I want people to know that whatever they've been through, that there, there's a way to heal it and then appreciate life and have fun with life. And, um, so I wanted to create, so that's how a hundred years of bliss came. And then my little, um, infinity symbol came out of the fact that when you help one person that, that just transcends and it just becomes this ever ending loop because everybody around them is raised up. Like I've worked with a lot of parents and you know, if you're a parent, you always have problems with your kids. It's just, just parenting. <laughs> so, um, and they're like, Oh, I don't need, I, you know, um, I'm having this issue or that issue. And it's the interesting thing about parenting is, you know, usually when the parents work on themselves, the kids work, work it out. Like I was, when I was, when my kids were younger and they're grown now, um, kind of, I mean, 20, <laughs> 23 and 20 or 22 and 22 and 20. Um, but 
I started family therapy that I could never get my kids to go to, (laughs) Um, which was, I think, perfect. Like I look back and that was perfect. But if you had asked me at the time, it was never going to work because I couldn't get my kids to go into this family therapy. And the more that I just worked on myself, my kids came along Mm -hmm. like, and it just seemed to work itself out. They were fine. And they, they saw me grow and it changed something in them to see me do all the things that I did. You know, I mean, I remember, so like, if you see, I've got this wall of like medals because I run races and do all this stuff. The first one I ever did, I said, I was going to go run a half marathon. I'd never run in my life. Like I said, I was an absolute train wreck. (laughs) So I say, I'm going to go run a half marathon. My son, I think he might've been like 15 or so at the time. He's like, you're never going to do it. And I was like, thanks for the support. So I go run a half marathon. And it did something amazing for me, but it was also amazing to see how it trickled out too. And so I think that when any of us grow ourselves as people, it gives other people permission to do so. So that's a big part of it. Yeah, it's incredible really how sometimes instead of trying to force something, um just to, just to move along flow with what's actually happening right now and work on the things that you can control which right. is mainly yourself and yes. you know, the, the only thing the only thing we really have any control over is our own reactions or responses to things right and our thoughts um, and not even our thoughts really but um but you know we, we can certainly uh, aim to control our, our emotions and our reactions and responses as best we can right right and then, then hopefully things start to change outside of that. So I find they do. <laughs> <laughs> who who mainly comes to you? Is there a, a particular kind of people that you aim to work with? Um, I have a couple different programs. So one of them is, you know, it's it's kind of all the pieces I needed for me. So I call it a blueprint. Um, that program. What happened is. What happens is, and it's interesting, my clientele within that program has been across the board, different ages, different um, male, female, and um, it's a very simple program. It's a six-month program, which seems very long, but basically it's broken down into each month we, we focus on something different. So the first month, we just focus on mindset, and you're just working on your internal self. And then the next month, and, and, and this is, when I say it's real simple, like you set your goals for the things that are important to you in your life. And then you just get a text message every day. Like it's real simple. Yeah. Like I think it's everything that we do is just about changing those little things as we go. It's and, and changing the way we think about the, those things. And if you do that, it all comes along. Right. Then it goes into relationships um, and the people that are around us and also taking responsibility for where we show up in our relationships and then nutrition, what, what do we feed ourselves? You know, what are we eating? But what are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we, and, and I think that I explained, you can see why I did that because of what I was crying about a minute ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, fitness. And again, that one's, you can see why I do that one as well. Um, how we show up in the world and, and what's important for us. And that may not always be our career, but it's important that we show up for things that we're passionate about. I think it makes us better people. 
Absolutely. 100%. And then financial responsibility. And that's, you know, I was raised in the, and I think that this was a manipulation because my grandparents had a lot of money. So, and there was a lot of people within the cult who did. So there was this, there was this very looking down upon people with money. Mm. And I think the benefit of that was it's easier to milk money from people when you tell them money's not important, you know? So, and I think that there was always this hope to get a portion of my grandparents when they passed away type of thing. So I was raised in um, people with money are bad people kind of thing, you know, that money is the root of all evil type Mm -hmm. of stuff. So there's all these, these things that go around about money being this and money being that, and it's all bullshit. Um, Money is just a tool. It has no more power than food does, but people's relationship with it says a lot about the way that they live and act and being able to create more in your life allows you to not have, not be challenged by the choices that you make. And that's been my, my goal in my own life is that if I can be really financially stable, then I'm not limited by making just financial decisions. I can make a decision because this is a really important piece in my life. I can help my children and give them a a bigger foundation. I can, give more money away or give more of my time away to foundations and causes that mean something to me because I have more financial stability within myself. Mm. So yeah, that's another piece that I think is important for people. I think it's a really important part. You know, I, I coach and train a, a course with, uh, with Harvecker international. That's all about this, uh, that financial freedom program. And, and so it is thinking of this as actually managing your finances, getting yourself to a, at least financially healthy and, and self-sufficient so that you have the freedom. That's what really it is. It's like having the freedom to be able to make those decisions as you talk about and, and not feeling limited by your finances because financial freedom and wealth are not the same thing. And I think they often get, uh, particularly in a lot of the maybe uh, um, sleazier side of the personal development world, they get bundled in together and they're not. They're very different things. Um, you can have a very simple lifestyle and be financially free. Uh, in fact, that's probably the quickest way to get to it. But if you want more, then then you're going to have to build on that. You're going to have to go a bit more than just basic financial freedom. You're going to have to go to a level of uh, increasing wealth. So it starts with financial freedom and then goes to, to the building wealth. But yeah, they're definitely a big and important element. If, if anyone who's tuning in wants to... Uh, wants to check out your program and can, can they do that? Can anyone come and uh, try it out? Yeah. Luckily, actually the whole thing's online. <laughs> so, um, and you know, if, if people, my base is very simple. So my base of that, that life blueprint program um, is very simple. And, you know, I start with everybody. I have a quiz that I start with and then I have a consultation because everybody gets that. Even if they don't sign up for it, I still do that because I always want to give value to people and I want to make sure it's a good fit. I mean, you do this too. So it's like, I don't want somebody to work with me if, if we're not good, if we don't have a, if we have a personality conflict or something else, or if they're, if they have an expectation, that's not something that I think I can deliver to them. I don't want them to start with me because I don't want people to come give me money and then be resentful because they feel like they had a different idea about what was going to happen when we work together. Absolutely. Great. Um, so, so we'll make sure that there's a, a link for that in the show notes so that people can come and come and, and check that out and, uh, and, and try, try your course and find out a bit more about you. Are there any other ways for people to come and connect with you? 
I have a meditation I do as well. Um, I'm also on, uh, yeah, and the meditation is, um, again, I, I really come from a base of science about it, about, you know, how it changes the brain. It changed in a week, we can change the brain and how it turns off the fight or flight, um, which I could talk about for three more hours, but obviously we're not going to. <laughs> so uh, people could have, and, but I'm on, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, I have a website, which is 100yearsofbliss.com. So it's pretty, yeah. pretty easy. <laughs> we'll include all of that in the show notes for sure. Absolutely. One of the things I like to ask all my guests, and, and, and I did prepare you for this, so, uh, is, is for a book recommendation. What was your book recommendation? <laughs> I'm like, what did I say? I don't remember. It was something to do with trees. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I've been reading that right now. I think that you'll enjoy this because oh that 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 actually worked out perfect. I think that you'll enjoy that book because um, we're talking about the interconnectedness, and I think that it's the same thing that that occurs with people as it does in nature. I'm a big believer in that. So my daughter actually had to read this for school, and it was written by a forestry guy. But the secret life of trees is always is all about how trees are very how they're connected and support each other and how they talk to each other. And it's very sciencey, but at the same time, it, there's a, there's a something about it that has a spirituality to it. That's very interesting. Mm. And it reminds me of that, uh, like avatar type of thing, you right. know, the movie avatar. And it's talks about the trees and their relationship with animals it talks about their relationship with with fungi and and how um mushrooms work with them it's just it's it's very interesting and i think it's something we need to be more connected with the way that the way that our earth works and i think it's why people are drawn to nature when we're looking for healing because i think it does the same thing that the meditation and the exercise does it 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 reconnects us back with that the way that we are all drawn to being uh connected with each other it's the only it's the best word i can think of <laughs> that's great it's, it's a nice recommendation i think i'm pretty sure i've heard of the book i may even have read it years ago i'm not sure if it's if it's if it's an older book but it seems familiar yeah. somehow but I, I definitely would like to check that out it sounds good um so let's let's bring things to a close with what were some final thoughts that you would like to leave everyone with today? Um, I'm going to say what I have the biggest problem with, <laughs> which is, um, you know, it's it's the little things you do every day that make the biggest difference. You know, I think we get stuck in this idea that we all have to make this huge transformation or this huge leap. And some days it's just the little things and doing them repetitively. And I think like what you were saying and I was saying, gratitude, meditation, forgiveness, those are the things that transform your life. Doing that a little bit every day is what transforms your life. 
but I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a delight to speak with you, and you you've opened uh, opened my eyes to some to some things, and you've even helped me to express some things uh, that I feel inside of me that uh, in a and see things in a slightly different way. So I, I really appreciate that, and um, more than anything, you know, just sharing some of the stuff that isn't always easy to share as well. I really appreciate really appreciate that you, you coming on the show and talking about this stuff because it's important. And um, you know, everyone, I think everyone goes through some point in the life where they feel broken and need need healing for whatever reasons and and i think this conversation is going to be very valuable to anyone who's uh, who maybe is even feeling like they're in the depths of that at the moment hopefully is a, a, a bit of a shining a light towards the end of the tunnel well thank you i appreciate that thank you so much take care I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please make sure that you give us a like if you're watching on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell button if you want to be alerted of future upcoming shows. Whatever your favorite podcasting network is, please subscribe and then you won't miss out on episodes like next week where I will have with me an expert on stoic philosophy and cognitive behavioral therapy, the author of the book How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, Donald Robertson. And the week after that, I will be speaking to the author of the amazing book, one of my favorite books, which is How to Be a Key Person of Influence, and other books like Entrepreneur Revolution and Oversubscribed, Mr. Daniel Priestley. So don't miss out on those and other amazing guests coming up on the show. Make sure you're subscribed. See you next time.